Andrew, I want to thank you for that awesome introduction. Uh, that's like the kind of way you introduce somebody when they don't actually have a credentialed bio. Like, hey, I just really like this guy. All right, so thank you for that, which is accurate about me. So that's perfect, right? Hey, my name's Brett. My wife, Rachel, my family have been members of Grace Point for quite a while. It's awesome to, to be back today. Hey, as a church, we have been on a journey through the book of Genesis, really for the, since the beginning of this year. What a great place to start the year. I have to tell you, in my personal life, along with what we're doing here, Genesis has become like my favorite thing in the whole wide world right now because I think it's awesome. And here's why. Um, I'm going to borrow a phrase from my favorite podcast, which is called The Bible Project. Anybody familiar with The Bible Project? I see, like, you're not just familiar with it, you're like a fan, right? There's no middle ground, right? Unbelievable. But The Bible Project, one of their favorite phrases is, the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And that story begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, not in like Matthew 1, 1, where we get to the Gospels. And so what we've really been doing is not just understanding Genesis, but we're understanding Jesus because all of this leads to Jesus. We learned in the first part of the year, in the first few books of Genesis, chapters of Genesis, that we are created by, for God. We're his creation. And everything around us is his creation. By him, through him, and for him is why everything exists. We learned that, hey, sin came in and broke this perfect creation. And so now our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with each other is broken. Our relationship with creation is broken. It's all broken. And then after that, the rest of Genesis is the beginning thread. And the story of Abraham is the beginning thread of how God is going to use all of history to begin to put it all back together, to begin to re redeem it all and bring it back to his original intent. And so we believe all of that story in Genesis, which seems so old and so long ago, sometimes not very accessible, that that's actually leading us to Jesus. And so we start with the, so now we're on Abraham's life. We've been studying Abraham. The Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God. And today we're going to get almost to this kind of pinnacle moment of Abraham's life where his friendship with God gets settled and satisfied in a whole new level. But we're not quite there yet. We're going to be in a place today where we're almost to the top, not quite to the top, where God is beginning to put some formal arrangements around his relationship with Abraham. Because here's one thing we need to know. Friendship with God is not just buddy-buddy friendship. Friendship with God is actually partnership in his work. The invitation that God gave to Abraham to be his friend is not just an invitation to hang out. It's actually an invitation to participate with God, to join with God in what God is trying to do. And so from the beginning of time until now, what we see about God is that God chooses not just to be friends, but God chooses to partner with people to bring about his will. God could bring about his will any way he wants. He brought about creation just by speaking the words. But he chooses to bring about his will today in our life by partnering with us. So here's where we're going today. It's going to be a ride. You need to work hard to keep up. And like, listen, you guys are second service people, which means I know you're not in full gear yet, right? So upshift, take another cup of coffee because we got a lot of ground to cover. But here's what we're going to see today. 
we're going to see, number one, that God chooses to partner with people, and we're going to talk about how he does that. It's through a thing the Bible called covenants. We'll get there in a minute. We're going to see that actually people are really, really bad partners. And then we're going to see that God's character, his faithfulness upholds his partnership. And then we're going to end with an opportunity for all of us, the same opportunity Abraham had to join into partnership relationship with God. Sound good? Doesn't matter if it sounds good. You're on for the ride now. Genesis 17, open your Bibles. God partners with people to bring about his will. And he does that through a specific mechanism that we don't talk very much about today. So bear with me while we set this up. God partners with people through what's called a covenant. God partners with people through covenant relationships. And what a covenant is, is basically a covenant is a relationship in which two people, two parties, make binding promises to one another And they work together for a common goal. Covenants in the Bible usually have three elements. Not all of them have all three, but there's consistently kind of three elements to a covenant. There's a relationship, two people in relationship with each other. There's conditions. And then there's signs. The the closest thing that we have to covenant relationships today, it's not like a legal contract. It's not a business arrangement. The closest thing we have is, um, and it's eroding before our eyes, but the closest thing we have is the idea of marriage. Marriage is a covenant relationship. My wife, Rachel, sitting right down here. Rachel and I got married. We had a relationship. We were friends. Then we decided, let's be more than friends. So then we got married. At that altar that day, what did we do? We made promises to each other. We were old school. We went traditional, better, worse, richer, poor, sickness, sin, and health. Been through all that stuff, haven't we? Those are our cup. Those are our conditions. I'm going to stay with you through all of this. She's going to stay through me through all of that. And then we have signs. I'm wearing my sign right here. This is like a $19 silicone ring that represents the most important relationship in my life. Right? So that's the closest thing we have to covenant. In the Bible, there's five covenants in the Old Testament that God initiates with people. The two, three of them we're going to cover in our series on Genesis. First one we've already talked about, Adam and Eve. God enters into somewhat of a covenant relationship with Adam and Eve. Listen, Adam and Eve weren't just laying around the garden, letting grapes fall into their mouth and just chilling all day. God gave them work to do. There was conditions. God told Adam and Eve, said, look, you need to cultivate the garden. You have to subdue it. You have work to do. We were created to work. He gave them work to do. Be fruitful and multiply. What was the condition of the garden? Do not do what? Don't eat of the tree. Remember that? That's the condition. I'm going to be with you. And then the sign of this covenant is God and Adam and Eve walking together in the garden every day. They're living in relationship. Next covenant comes with Noah. This is a little bit different covenant. Some of us might have actually questioned this covenant this week because it will not stop raining. But the covenant here was God simply saying, hey, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm never going to destroy the earth with water again. I'm done with that. That's not how we're going to do this. And he gave him a sign. What's the sign? Rainbow, right? There's a sign. 
Then God God enters into a covenant with Abraham. This covenant, we see it kind of get developed in Genesis chapter 12, where we started this series. Again in Genesis 15, and then again in Genesis 17, where we are today, where God tells Abraham, you're going to walk with me, you're going to be blameless before me, and when you do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you a family, there's going to be kings that come from you, I'm going to elevate you. I'm not going to do all that because you're so great, Abraham. I'm not going to do all that because I want to make your name great. I'm going to elevate you because when I want, I want people, when they see you, I want them to see what God, what life with God can be. So those are kind of the conditions. Abraham's got to walk with God. But in some degree, it's also a little bit unconditional because what God is up to is so big and so great. Even when we see Abraham's family step outside of God's will, which is going to happen a lot. God stays faithful to bringing his promise through. Moses, God makes a covenant with Moses and the Hebrew people when they leave Egypt. He says, I promise I'm going to be your God. You're going to be priests. Kind of the same idea as Abraham. People are going to see what living with God is like when you follow my will. When you don't follow my will, bad things are going to happen. That's essentially it. And here's the sign. You're going to be, you're going to be Sabbath people. You're going to take a day of rest. Nobody else around you is doing the Sabbath thing. You're going to do the Sabbath thing because you're going to leave a day for God. And that's symbolic of you are a people set aside for God. And then finally God comes and he makes a covenant with David. Second Samuel, David's going to be king. God says, I'm going to make your kingdom last forever. Unlimited all-time kingship from you. This is another covenant that's a little bit conditional as long as you follow me. Guess what? You might be shocked to know that David's whole family did not follow God. But it's also unconditional, and we'll talk about that at the end. So God, friendship with God is partnership with God. God partners with people through relationships called covenant. Now, are we ready to see God's covenant with Abraham? Genesis 17. Here we go. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. And then I will make my covenant between me and you. I will increase your numbers. I have highlighted here. Do you see the conditions? Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. You have a certain standard that you need to reach in your walk with me. That's what Abraham has to do. God's going to give him greatly increased numbers. Abraham fell down and God said to him, as far as me, this is my covenant with you. You'll be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. So now God changes his name to Abraham. I'm sorry. I'm going to just call these two Abraham and Sarah, but that's not how it worked, right? God changes their name. Your name will be Abraham, for you've made a fa- I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations and kings come from you. I will establish an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of the descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I'm going to give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. By the way, anybody watch the news like in the last 10 days? Right there. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. And this is the covenant. This is the sign that your descendants will have. Every male among you shall be circumcised. 
So I just want to pause here and thank Mike for giving me the text that deals with circumcision. I actually believe the last time that he was here, that he was out of town, I taught, and it was about tithing. So um, tithing and now circumcision. Thanks for giving me all the sensitive topics. See what I did there? Sensitive. Circumcision jokes for days, guys. Do this all night. All right, here we go. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. God also goes on to talk about Sarah. Um, Verse 15, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Your name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I'll give you a son by her, and I'll bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings, and peoples will come from her. Listen, here's the main point of this. God's entered into not just a buddy-buddy friendship, a partnership with these two people. Hey, I'm going to use you to bring about my will. What an incredible invitation. What an amazing invitation. It was open to them and it's open to us. But there is one huge problem in this system, and that is people are really, really bad partners. Anybody else trying to like partner with your kids to keep your house clean? Just doesn't work all the time, right? Humanity always fails to live up to our covenant responsibilities. And Abraham and Sarah were no different Um, With apologies to Abraham, what we're going to do next is I just want to trace through. Let's see how Abraham and Sarah and their children and their children's children do at living up to this covenant of walking before God and being blameless. Okay, so just strap on. Here we go. We're going to go through like most of the rest of the book of Genesis real quick. It starts with Abraham and Sarah. God calls them in Genesis 12 and says, go to the land that I tell you to go to. We've already talked about this, right? They get there and there's a famine. And so they have to flee to Egypt. And kind of just take a time out and say just a life principle here. You can, in your life, take a step of faith and follow God and do the very exact thing that God asked you to do and have it turn up not good. They went to where God told them to go and there was a famine. Can you imagine that conversation? Sarah's probably like, hey, You said God was going to be here and we're starving to death. I just want you to know, following God, his plan for you isn't always a smooth path to the peak of the mountain. He's not afraid to take you through a rough, painful, hurtful path, even to the dark valley. Doesn't mean we failed him. That's just part of his plan sometimes. When they go to Egypt, Abraham is worried that because Sarah is so beautiful, someone's going to come and actually kill him and take her to be their wife. So they concoct a plan. Abraham, and by the way, this whole moving to Egypt, I'm not sure if it's wrong, but maybe it's the first sign of a theme that we'll see in their life, which is a complete failure to trust God to come through for them. So because they don't trust God, they decide to tell a lie. Abraham says, she's my sister. Guess what happens? Sarah actually gets taken into Pharaoh's family to be like a sex object for Pharaoh. And he actually kind of buys her from Abraham with people, with donkeys, with all these gifts. Finally, God shows up, even though they have not been faithful, they have lied, they have stepped outside of God's plan. He shows up. 
He brings all these plagues onto Pharaoh till Pharaoh finally gives Sarah back to Abraham when he figures out what's going on and is like, please leave. Fast forward, Genesis chapter 16. There's still no nations. And God was promising us descendants. God's promising us nations. And there's still no nations. We talked about this last week. Sarah comes up with the plan. She gives her servant, Hagar. The Bible, by the way, says Hagar was Egyptian. Which means it was very likely that Hagar was probably given to Abraham by the Egyptian Pharaoh as kind of purchase for Sarah. So here's poor Hagar. She's essentially been trafficked her entire life. Now she's trafficked again to Abraham. He does. He has a child with her named Ishmael. And the minute that this happens, Sarah, who was part of catching this whole plan, is bitter and angry. And here's another life principle for us. We step outside of God's plan. We sin. It doesn't just hurt other people, though it always hurts other people. But it always hurts us. And now Sarah is a bitter person. We're going to see more of this in a minute. She's envious, as Mike talked about last week. She, so Hagar has to flee from Sarah. And God, because he's faithful, shows up to Hagar, an innocent person who's been swept up in the wake of somebody else's sin over and over for her life. And God finds her there and says, I'm going to bless you. And she says, that's the God who sees. Fast forward a little bit further. Believe it or not, Abraham and Sarah have this thing happen again in Genesis chapter 20, where there's another famine. They go to another country. Do you want to guess what Abraham says about Sarah? She's my sister. And King Abimelech luckily gets saved. God steps in, intervenes King, with King Abimelech. He goes to Abraham. He's like, why did you say she's my sister? Abraham says, because I thought you would kill me. He said, you're lucky that someone didn't sleep with her. And so he gives Sarah back. They all go back. Finally, in Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born. God delivers on his promise to give her a son. And how do we find Sarah in Genesis chapter 21? Celebrating and happy? No. She's bitter and angry. She's so angry that she actually wants Abraham to kick Hagar and Ishmael out of their camp. And Abraham does it. This is really a death sentence, a single woman, a young boy, nothing but water, kicked out of their house into the desert with nothing. And while Ishmael is passed out, God again appears to Hagar, provides water for her in a miraculous way to take care of them and says, I'm going to bless Ishmael. He's going to have a great kingdom. He's going to have 12 kingdoms because I'm going to be faithful to him because you two have been caught up in the brokenness of these two. I want to pause here for a second. It's really easy for us in this day and age to identify with the Hagar moments in life. Because all of us have been caught up in the wake of someone else's sin at some point, right? And so all of us have been hurt and abused. And we hear a story about Hagar and you think, man, I really identify with that. But I want to go over to this side of the ledger. Because... All of us have been wronged, which means, guess what? A whole lot of us, i.e. all of us, are doing the hurting too. And I'd encourage you, where do you see yourself when you're the wrongdoer, not just the one being wronged? And God's faithful to them too in his own way because that's who he is. All right, let's keep going. Isaac is finally the, uh, Isaac's Abraham and, and Sarah's son. He grows up, he gets married to a woman named Rebecca. 
Rebecca ends up having two sons, Jacob and Esau, they're twins, and these two are a huge mess. The Bible says they actually fought each other when they were inside Rebecca's womb. And when they came out, Jacob was grabbing Esau's heel. His name literally means uh, heel grabber. And given where some of you millennial people are with your baby names, like we're getting close to that right now, right? Someone's like taking it off their list right now. We had that one. Esau is like a manly dude. He's kind of my kind of guy. He likes to hunt and fish, likes to be outside, cooks game, feeds it to his dad. His dad loves it. Esau is like a rugged, rugged dude. Jacob is more of the country club kind of guy, right? He wants to golf and have the food brought to him. He likes to cook. He's just in a little bit of a mama's boy, right? Not that all you golfers are mama's boys, but you know, you get the idea. He's a little more pristine and clean. Esau goes out on a hunt. He's about to starve to death because he didn't kill anything. He's dying. He actually, Jacob meets him at the kitchen with a big old ladle of soup. It's like, this will just cost you your soul, right? It's like a Disney movie at this point, right? So Jacob buys Esau's inheritance for a bowl of soup. Later on, so Jacob's like super deceiver guy. Later on, Jacob actually works with the help of his mom, Rebecca, to deceive their dad, Isaac, because Isaac's getting old and he's about to give a blessing to one of these two boys. Isaac thinks he's going to bless Esau. And by blessing him, he's saying to Esau, hey, you're going to be the leader of this family from now on. But Rebecca, his, his own wife, dece- conspires with one son to lie and steal from her husband and to take something from her other son. And Isaac ends up blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Now Rebecca's worried, rightly so, about Jacob's life. Esau decides, I'm going to kill him. As soon as my father dies, I'm killing him. Rebecca decides, maybe we need to get Jacob out of town for a little while. So she tells Isaac, hey, I really hate all the women that are around here, these Canaanite women. I really don't like them. They're not good enough for my son. Let's send Jacob back to my uncle. Maybe he can find like a proper wife. So Jacob goes to Uncle Laban. We'll get to that in a second. Esau just to spite his parents. He hears them talking about this, and just to make his parents mad, he goes back to Ishmael, which you remember Ishmael, right? This is Isaac's brother. Goes back to Ishmael, marries someone from his tribe, just to stick their parents' nose. That's a messed up family. I mean, I just be encouraged today. Like, we're not the best parents in the world, but I'm feeling pretty good right now. What if I told you that this gets even more jacked up? Jacob goes to his uncle Laban's house. Laban has a beautiful daughter. Her name's Rachel. Jacob wants to marry her. He decides he's going to work to earn her hand in marriage for seven years. He works for seven years. The wedding night comes. The bride gets brought down the aisle. I don't know how this happens, but he wakes up the next day and he's married to Leah not Rachel. I don't know how that worked. Um, So now the deceiver, Jacob, has been deceived by his own uncle. That's messed up. Jacob ends up staying around, works another seven years, finally gets to marry Rachel, whom he loves. Now Leah's unseen. The Bible says that God showed up because God saw Leah was unloved. 
And God actually lets Leah have a son, two sons. Leah's trying to earn the love of a passive husband. And finally, God just, she finally recognizes that God is her provider. Rachel sees what's happening with Leah, that Leah's having children. Rachel gets jealous. Have we heard this before? Rachel has a servant named Bilhah that she gives to Jacob that says, will you have children with her? Have we heard this before? By the way, along the way, at some point, um, Isaac and Rebecca do the same, she's my sister thing. Like, we're repeating over and over and over these same broken patterns of life. And a lot of us can look at our own families and see the same thing, where the same pattern of brokenness it just shows up over and over again. All right, so Bilhah ends up having kids. Leah stopped having kids at this point. Guess what? She has a servant named Zilpah. So she tells Jacob, hey, why don't you have kids with Zilpah? So now here's the scoreboard. Zilpah, two kids with Jacob. Leah, seven kids with Jacob. Rachel, God ends up seeing her and gives her two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. Bilhah, two kids. At one point, this Leah-Rachel thing gets so ugly that Leah's son has given her some fruit that they believed helped with fertility. Rachel comes to her and says, I'll buy that fruit from you. And she buys it from her. The cost of it was a night with Jacob. I mean, that is a messed up family dynamic. And by the way, that is not walking blamelessly with the Lord. You will probably not be surprised to learn that the brothers represented in the twos and sevens and twos down here, they're a little dysfunctional, okay? (laughs) Believe it or not, this isn't a great family environment. They're so dysfunctional that they commit terrible acts of violence against innocent people. And then towards the end of Genesis, Joseph, Rachel's firstborn son. So this is the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife. His other brothers hate him so much they decide to kill him. Someone intervenes. They end up selling him as a slave to Egypt. He ends up rising in Egypt, and you kind of know the rest of the story, right? Joseph rises up, and God ends up using him to save all these people's lives. What's the point of all that? That's like a long history. That's, hey, congratulations. You just, like, we just covered all of Genesis in like 10 minutes. The point of all that is this. People are really bad partners. Over and over and over again, we step outside of God's plan for our life. And you can see yourself in those things, can't you? Stepping outside all the time. So now we have a problem. We have a covenant-working God who wants to partner with us, and we have terrible partners as people, and this whole thing is broken. And let me just tell you, the answer to that is this. God's covenants are upheld by his character. While we always fail, even the best of us always fail, God's character is always, always, always dependable. And we understand what God's character looks like in the covenant with Moses. God shows up to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, and he tells Moses, this is what I am going to be like. We're going to get there in just a second. This verse is super important. This verse is quoted like 200 times in the Bible. If John 3.16 is like the verse that just everybody knows in our culture today, in the ancient culture, that verse would have been Exodus 34, 6 and 7, right? If John 3.16 is like what the athletes put on the eye black, then like the Hebrew version of Tim Tebow shows up with Exodus 34 on his eye black. 
That's the sign in the end zone at the Super Bowl, right? It's like the Hebrew soccer game. They're holding up this verse, Exodus 34, and here's what it says. This is God talking to Moses. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But he who will by no means clear the guilty... He'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. In the biblical mind, in the ancient biblical mind, this is what God was like. And we see all of this come to fruition in Abraham's family. Let's talk about the end of this. Whoa, he's not going to clear the guilty? He's going to cleanse the, or he's going to visit the iniquity of the father on the children and the children's children? We just talked about that with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And where you see these sin patterns of people who don't follow God come back and back and back over and over and over again. And listen, God has to judge that stuff. If God doesn't judge people who do sin against other people like Hagar, what does that say about him? So he lets them feel the consequences of their actions. But he's going to show up overwhelmingly. You know, we think of the Old Testament God just kind of standing around smiting people. That's not what he says he's like at all. He actually shows up with this. He shows up with compassion. God's faithfulness looks like compassion in your life. The Hebrew word here is a, a mom with a baby in her womb. It's tied to this word of womb. It's the same word. It's like a mom who has to care for and tenderly take care of a small baby. God shows up with that kind of compassion in your life, even when you're unfaithful. Gracious is the idea of giving a valuable gift to someone who doesn't deserve it. That's how God shows up in our life, even when we're not faithful. Slow to anger, I love this phrase. Slow to anger actually um, literally translates like long of nose. And as someone with a big nose, I'm glad to know that I have a character quality of God in common. Remember those old-timey cartoons where characters would get like mad and like steam would like come out of their ear, their head? Anybody ever seen, like, am I the only one who's old enough to see this? (laughs) That's the idea here behind anger, that it's like steam comes out there, people's heads get hot. And what they're saying about God is, hey, it takes him a really long time to get there. And so what we see with God is, hey, you know what? You're unfaithful, but he gives us time and time and time again to change, to repent, to come back to him. He abounds in loyal love. God's faithfulness looks like loyal love. There's not even a word, an English word for this original Hebrew word, which is hesed. We can't even really translate it. It's the idea of loving loyalty that shows up faithfully every single day in your life. Loyal love. God's faithfulness looks like him showing up with loyal love towards you. And then the last thing is faithfulness. God shows up faithful every day. The word faithfulness in Hebrew is really closely tied to the word true or truth. So if you were to go to Home Depot this afternoon, maybe you need to build something, I don't know what, and you need to go find a piece of wood. You're going to go to the Home Depot. You're going to look through the wood pile. There's all the terrible wood. And you're going to find the one piece that's, that's straight. And what might we say about a piece of wood that's straight? It's true. It's true. It's the same all the way across. That's the idea, but God's faithfulness is the same every single day. So God's covenant relationship ends up being upheld 
not by broken people, but by God's character. And let's just fast forward to the end of this and let's, let's bring this thing in for a landing. God's character is summed up in the person of Jesus Christ. God's character is best expressed. He's the best expression of God's character is Jesus. Um, the New Testament begins with these words, which maybe didn't mean much to you before, but hopefully they mean a little bit more today. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of Matthew opens up with the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you see what this is doing here? David, remember God's covenant with David? I'm going to bring you a king. King's going to be there for forever. Here's Jesus, king of kings, tied into the covenant. Remember God's covenant with Abraham? I'm going to give you a blessing. Through that blessing, the whole world could be blessed. Here's Jesus, son of Abraham, here to bless the entire world. What does all this mean for us? Here's what it means. God wants to partner with you. We talk about salvation here in a lot of ways. That he wants to heal you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to bind up your wounds. He wants to show you his mercy and his grace. Those are all true. But a huge part of entering a relationship with Jesus, it's a covenant relationship. He wants to partner with you to bring about his will. And that same invitation that was there for Abraham is available for all of us today. So my invitation for you today is this. Are you interested in partnering with a faithful God to bring his will about in your world. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes it like this. Therefore, remember formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body, in the body by human hands. Remember at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants were outside the covenant. And what's the status of people who are outside the covenant? Without hope and without God in the world. But just like Andrew talked about at Pentecost, the opportunity for people who are far away to come near, look at what Paul says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away are brought near into the covenant by the blood of Christ. So we get to participate. We get to partner with God. Not because we're dependable. We're just like Abraham and Sarah and all those broken people. But because he's dependable. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I have two questions for you to reflect on today. First question is, is there a time or a place where you know, hey, I, I used to be far away from God, but I made a choice to come into the covenant. I made a choice to come near. I made a choice to move close. If so, he's offering you the same invitation that he offered Abraham. Come partner with me. Most of us, most of us in this room have made that decision at some point in our life to partner with God, to come into relationship with God. But maybe we haven't thought about it as partnership. Today, are you willing to maybe re-examine yourself and say, God, can I do more than just be a friend, a buddy-buddy friend with you? I want to partner with you because you are faithful to bring about your will in this world. At Grace Point, we call that living scent. 
Father, you are faithful when we are broken, faithless, messed up people. You show up every single day, true, gracious, compassion, slow to anger. You abound in loyal love to all of us. Will you make us people who partner with you to bring about your will in this world?